got some slides coming up here. Just we'll give them a second to magically appear. They're going to pop up. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Thanks for uh, coming along. Um, so I, I spend half my life uh, building tech companies, in fact, uh, and a whole lot of other kinds of companies. So I'm at the other end of your industry. I, uh, I phoned my crew last night and said, okay, I want to know. I'm speaking to all these freight people. Uh, tell me about what we've got shipping. They're like, we've got, I think, 28 containers coming out of Nicaragua. We've got 15 coming out of the Dominican Republic. We've got six containers coming out of Mongolia. We've got this. I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk to these people and figure out how we do this better while I'm here. But I spent another part of my life uh, as, a, as a proper marketer, not a Gary Vaynerchuk marketer, but a proper marketer. Um, uh, working with some of the best universities in the world on marketing. So having built companies and then being on the other side of it, looking at academic, academia and advising companies all around the world on what they should be doing, I'm always sort of existentially torn because one half of me is like, I know what we should be doing, but can someone just get me some fucking leads? You know, <laughs> I need more leads right now, you know. So I'm going to I'm gonna step through that sort of existential challenge. But where I wanted to start, and you heard a bit, a bit about us from the great um, Mr. Friedman yesterday, it's a weird world, isn't it? Um, really strange. And like, like you, we always sit and look at the current condition and go, oh my God, it's never been this nuts. And then uh, people that are old and tired and exhausted like me with no hair, we remember, yeah, actually there was that Iraq war thing and there was another war before that and then there was another recession. And we've been through this before. And I guess one of the most crucial things to remember is that, you know, and there's a great quote from Eaton Center, I, I really love it, which is the best operators, which many of you are the best operators, they know how to win on a wet track and it's a wet track out there. It's pretty easy to win on a dry track. And I see this in one of the business owners, a very large coffee business. Um, we'll get, we'll talk a bit about coffee in a minute. Um, and uh, it's pretty easy to ship goods around the world when everything's functioning. It's almost bloody impossible currently to get goods out of some of these countries to where you need them, right? But the best operators do know how to do it. So I'm going to talk a little bit today about the best operators and what they do to grow their brands, to grow their businesses. And I'm going to try and give you lots of practical tips, right? I know many of you aren't marketers. Many of you aren't. Some of you probably are more on the sales side. We're going to talk a little bit about practical things you can do to grow and energize and expand your business, right? But before I get into that, um, I want to start with sort of a bit of a carpet bombing of ideas. And that's a big theme in this presentation. It's a huge carpet bombing of ideas. So you're going to have a copy of these slides. Um, when I get to the end, just uh, remember it's andy at grouplark.com. Uh, you're going to have a copy of these slides and uh, um, and uh, tell me uh, tell me your thoughts on the presentation as well. And I'll, I'll make sure I get it to you. Now, I spent a lot of my life in tech. And what I learned when I was sitting uh, back in one of the very biggest tech companies in the world as their CMO and chief digital officer, um, as I sat with the CEO, he just brought me back in and I said, geez, you've been doing great since I was last here. Mate, how, long, how much longer do you think this sort of run's going to continue? When I left, we were at 40 billion. Now you're at 100 billion. He said, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I can't predict the future. Why don't you figure it out, smarty pants? I said, okay, well, I'm not that smart. So I went and hired some people from MIT and said, What's their lifespan of a business model, right? And, and, and what specifically is the impact of technology on a business model? And uh, like all people from MIT, they can only give you a number. Uh, the number was 21 years. So the impact of tech happens 
quite quickly is the way we feel it, but the aggregate impact on your businesses occurs over a very, very long period of time, or at least a long period of time. People say to me, oh, you know, life is short. You know, we've got to move fast. Actually, life is miserably long, as it turns out, and business cycles are actually quite long. We've just entered into a completely new technology curve, an unprecedented technology curve, right? Um, the rise of, rise of AI, uh, the rise of augmented technologies, the rise of sensors, um, it, the list goes on, right? But it is, a, it is a new world we're entering into. So much so I went and wrote a book about it, right? But what we don't understand enough is how quickly the impact is. Now, you probably have one of these speakers sitting in your homes, right? You probably got a Bose, you know, those little portable speakers, um, and you're sitting there and you can imagine you're the chief marketing officer of Bose, right? And you're talking to your CEO and you're like, mate, it's going great. Back in 2014, we're rocking it. Those German audio engineers, God, they're awesome. That noise cancelling and ambient sound stuff is just fantastic. Go open more retail outlets. I've just hired Beyonce for the Milan Speaker Festival. Woo, we're on fire. We've got about 40% market share. And then you fast forward the following year, I'm back and doing my performance review and the CEO goes, so how was the year? Well, it didn't quite go according to plan. Someone entered the market and took half our market share, but they took half of everyone else's as well. So what? Who did that? Anyone got any idea who did that? Amazon. Not even a speaker company. Pretty average website, but sells a lot. Um, but not even a speaker company. And the point here is in understanding how a company disrupts an industry. And many of you in this room are disruptors. I've enjoyed walking around outside and looking at your booths and talking to your people out there. But you're disruptors. And it's this funny little device. How many of you, put your hand up, how many of you have one of these in your home? We have an Amazon Alexa. So quite a few of you, right? Quite a few of you. Pretty shitty speaker, actually, right? It's not the speaker that makes it work. What makes it work is the genius behind the speaker. It's actually your industry that makes this work, makes this special, makes this kind of market shift possible, right? Now, 44% of American households have a gun. We used to go, oh, you know, you can tell from my accent that um, I'm not from around these parts, that um, having a cute accent, as it turns out overseas, means you can swear as much as you want. People just think it's charming. Um, but... Um, but we also learned during the terrible events in Christchurch, New Zealand, that 68% of New Zealanders have a gun in their home, which meant we did the opposite of what America did. We just outlawed guns. Uh, but as a, a green, as a passport-carrying American as well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not bothered at all by that. But what is staggering is 63% of American households today, it's actually a bit higher now, have Amazon Prime. It's actually the supply chain that makes the product work. Right now, have anyone in the room own an Airbnb? Anyway, I've a few of you. Yeah, I've got an Airbnb too. What fascinates me is people who stay in Airbnbs have an unbelievable ability to consume toilet paper. I reckon they stay in an Airbnb, and the first thing they do is they go, right, really nice place. First things first, let's just use all the toilet paper they've got. So that beauty of being able to sit in the home and just go, Alexa, order more toilet paper. Your Amazon Basics toilet paper will be delivered in four hours. That's you guys. That's, that's the supply chain working. It's not a speaker, right? The speaker's average. 
The point is that every one of these products we see surrounding us are a mix of people, process, and product. And far too often, the focus is on the product uh, or people wandering around espousing about culture and the great talent and the great people we've got. What you see behind most of these products today is actually your industry. And we're going to talk a bit about this because it's fundamentally the processes that sit behind these products that drive exponential innovation and exponential market penetration and stickiness, right? Because at the end of the day, this fundamental shift into what we call the experience economy is what the game is about, right? I sit now, I currently I spend about half my time in my home in, in Melbourne, Australia. I have a particular fascination with Baxter's uh, eucalyptus soap. It's a beautiful soap Baxter's makes out of LA. I can Google that product and I can find it from a hundred vendors in Australia. But because of the ineptitude and incompetence of my arch nemesis, Australia Post, I won't order from any of those vendors. I'll order it on Amazon because tomorrow morning it'll show up at my home. It's the supply chain that is a fundamental differentiator in creating customer experience. Don't think of yourselves as shippers, as freighters, as pallet orchestrators. Think of yourselves as a fundamental component in delivering customer experience. And I would argue it is one of the largest breakpoints today in customer experience is what you do. And I bet very few marketers wake up tomorrow morning looking at that last mile of the customer experience going, we've got to get that right. We've got to get that right. You know, I'm sitting here. I just got a note from a product I'd ordered out of the US delivering to Australia. Your parcel, your package will be delivered tomorrow morning in Australia by Courier Max or whoever they're using. I'm not there. There's no ability for me to respond. There's no ability for me to send them an email and say, please don't deliver it. I'm here. My partner's in Milan. Could you deliver it in two weeks' time? Nothing, right? That is a fundamental break in customer experience. And that ultimately will cause me to shift the way I buy products. Your customers need to understand that you're able to help them create, right, or your customers' customers, that customer experience that isn't available today. And that'll drive revenue, right? So we're going to shift gears for a bit here and spin through six sort of fundamental things that I run into as an advisor, mentor, coach, academic, and also a founder of multiple startups, right? So what do we do when we get into these difficult times? What do we do when we get into a recession? Do I cancel marketing? right? Well, that's not such a good idea. Marketers make for pretty soft targets when it comes to budgets, right? It's like, you know, the people with the crowns will just get rid of them first. Uh, we're going to focus everything over here, right? Um, but spend is a huge issue in marketing. So the first response of let's just reduce the marketing headcount, well, then you're going to get nothing done. So that's not going to work, right? But there is this enormous chasm, marketers will work or walk around with all this great data that says the more we invest in our brand and our marketing during a recession, the more we're going to make longer term. All the evidence suggests that. But then the time bomb of capital and capacity kicks in and it doesn't happen. So we do need to get real, right, about how we can allocate our marketing dollars while preserving the investment, right? But the real question is, are you actually asking marketing to do marketing, right? Most boards today don't have a marketer on them. They don't have anyone with go-to-market experience. Most boards are made up of investors, 
uh, accountants, lawyers, um, et cetera, right? So I get to audit between 20 and 50 high growth marketing teams around the world each year. About 22% of them fail the basic, basic asset test. We just ask really simple questions. When was the last time a marketer met a customer? When they actually go and see a customer? We walk around doing what we call the Inspector Clouseau event, right? You've all seen the Pink Panther movies. He used to walk around asking just questions, questions, questions. We ask some simple questions. Tell me the three key differentiators about your product. Most marketers stare at you blankly. Can't even tell you that. Tell me about how we would measure the ROI of this product and deliver it as an advantage to a customer. Can't tell you that, right? We look at things like, what's the balance between managers and makers? Marketing has a propensity to massively overhire people who manage things and not hire anyone that makes anything, right? The number of people I talk to, like, oh, yeah, we need a CMO. I'm like, really? Do you, you do understand CMOs don't actually do anything. They actually go to meetings. They manage people. They try to preserve budgets. They hire agencies. They actually don't do real work. If you're a smaller business in the audience, don't hire one of them. Hire people who do shit, people who make things happen, right? The other problem is the majority of marketing today is isolated to communications. It's not actually real marketing. Real marketing is about price. It's about packaging. It's about customer segmentation. It's about a hundred other things. So actually the orientation of most marketing functions is completely wrong. And then what happens is the poor marketing team walks into the sales land of Mordor uh, right, and they're double fucked, Big. right, because the salespeople are sitting there saying, oh my God, we just need more leads. Sales orientation does not equal a growth orientation. Suddenly, marketers are chasing the funnel, which we'll come to in a minute. They're not actually chasing long-term growth for the business, right? So you need to empower the marketer to have what I call bothism, which is a short-term lens and the long-term lens, Right. Whoever's running your market needs to be sitting at the table with the ex looking 12, 24, 36 months out. Otherwise, you're going to be managing the near term and 36 months from now, you're going to get eaten alive, right? You're going to be in the Bose category of existence where you wake up one day and go, oh my God, it wasn't about noise cancelling at all. It was about supply chain. It was about bundling. It was about accessing e-commerce and doing it through voice, right? So what is marketing actually here to do? It's very, very simple. They're here to increase the mental, physical, and digital availability of the brand. And this is a huge point. And I'm going to keep coming back to this as we talk about TAM and share a voice. Some of you who haven't studied marketing are probably looking at me going, well, on earth is this guy all about? But I'll, I'll make it as simple as I can for you, right? And I, I offer to any of you, right? Um, get on the phone with me, send me an email. It's all free. Just talk to me and I'll, I'll, I'll keep educating you. But it's all about this equation, right? This is the, it's not about leads. It's not about the funnel. It's not about that. It's like, how available is our brand to the total addressable market? Not the 5% of the people that are in the market to buy right now. So where are you going to start? You've got some key principles there, some key things to think about. Where do you start, right? The first thing you've got to do is you've got to break the routine of the present, right? This is one of the most staggering statistics I run into when I deal with marketers and I talk to marketers, right? It's a great quote from a very famous guru, Jim Rohn. He's sort of like Anthony Robbins' grandfather, I guess, or something like that. But um, this notion of the routine of the present, right? Because today, about 80% of all marketing budgets 
just repeat the past year, right? And that's because we are tied up in agency contracts and they're nice people. They take us out for dinner a lot at fancy restaurants and fly us around the world to conferences and enter us in awards and, you know, feed our egos. So, you know, we don't like changing them. About half our budget's locked up in budget. Most of you don't even measure ROI correctly, right? Because you actually are being told the ROI of marketing investment and spend without looking at the ROI of the human capital, which is actually around 50% of the budget, right? That leaves hardly anything for innovation. The only way to reset marketing in tough times is completely blank canvas it, right? Once a year, just blank it out, start again. Make sure you've got no long-term contracts in marketing because you have to be that, that fast in your ability to change. Then what happens is we spend all our money and time feeding everybody else. We ride this single, what I call a single gear unicycle, right? We play all these platforms and intermediaries, Google, ad agencies, and everyone else. They take all our user relationships and data, and then they rent them back to us in terms of fees and attacks, right? And this is what happens, right? Very few of the, of the dollars you spend on marketing actually touch a customer, actually make it to a screen. It's absolutely terrifying. You have to look at the ratio in your business and go, if I'm putting $100 into marketing and only $10 is, it, is viewed, there is something fundamentally wrong, right? In my businesses, we target a, a minimum of 50-50. 50% of all spend has to be viewable, actually viewable and touch a customer. It could be through great events like this. It could be through ads. It could be through great content. Whatever it is, it has to make it to a customer. Most of your marketing is just not being seen by anybody. That's why people don't know how great you are, right? And then the talent gearing's all wrong. Marketers are like rabbits. You know, once you've got one, you've quickly got two. And then those two give you another two. And they just keep growing and growing. It's like a marketer can't do anything without somebody else, right? And, and so you immediately become restricted. And I can tell you, I, I helped found a company called Zero, um, And we built that to be massive. Um, uh, sort of a very boring world, online accounting software. Um, but our ratio was always to have 60 to 70% makers, 60 to 70% makers versus managers, right? And all managers had to be makers too. And the reason this is so important is today, you've heard a lot about AI over the last couple of days. It's changing everything. It's completely re-gearing marketing, right? I want to write a press release. I open chat GPT, I put in all my key points, right, spend my press release, right? I want to do search engine optimization. I don't pay 30 grand to a search engine optimization company. Uh, all my website copy is search optimized by AI, right? Uh, whatever I want to do now, I've, I've almost got about 30 to 40% more my marketing capacity just by investing and retraining my entire marketing functions on how to use AI. So that's another force multiplier. And we're not building just products anymore. This is a, 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 a fully functioning digital human, fully integrated with uh, ChatGPT, but also integrated with our own AI libraries. She can hold down a full conversation with the customer, answer any questions to them, integrate into their HubSpot records. I could say to her, hey, Jen, when was the last, um, um, I didn't get the MOU from Andy. Uh, has he sent it to me? Oh, yeah. Looking at our HubSpot records, Andy sent you the MOU yesterday morning at 8 a.m. Via, via Google. Would you like me to resend it? She'll automatically resend it. 
right? This is the kind of stuff that the great marketers are focused on building and creating because we're trying to reshape and redefine and recreate customer experience, right? Second thing is you've got to revisit your strategies, right? People say to me, oh, you know, we're, we're, I'll invest in demand generation. I can't afford all the other stuff, right? If you believe in your total addressable market, you have to understand your share of voice, right? This is a real, I know I'm sort of getting into some of the weird academic stuff here. I get it, but I just want you to leave with like this mini blitzkrieg of ideas around what marketing actually is. That's my only goal today. So you walk here going, oh, I've got some stuff I can rethink here, right? The reality is today is B2B marketers spend a roughly 92% of their budgets chasing 5% of their customers in the market, right? And this is because of something we call, and this is one of the fundamental truths of marketing, okay? This is like gold, right? It's the 95.5 rule. Only about 5% of people are in the market to buy what you've got. It doesn't mean the other 95% won't buy what you've got. They're just not primed and ready yet. So when marketers come in, they go, oh, we're doing fantastic on lead gen. That's really nice. But what are we doing to get the other 95% primed and ready to buy? Because if I'm only capturing the 5% that's in the market right now, my efficiency is going to decline exponentially over time as all competitors try to target that very narrow rule. Many suggest, I mean, LinkedIn's B2B Research Institute working with um, Unberg Bass out of Adelaide have suggested in a recession, it shrinks to a 99-1 rule. The other fundamental rule is most buyers buy occasionally. We all think everyone's in the market all the time. We actually only buy very, very occasionally, right? And, and things like loyalty are a myth. Pe things like loyalty are a complete and utter myth. That's another keynote for another day. Now, people say to me, I, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, I'll say uh, to people, okay, which brand of motorcycle do you think owners of motorcycles are most loyal to in the world today? Anyone got any idea? Shout it out. Anyone got an idea? Harley Davidson. Yeah. They're the most disloyal motorcycle brand owners in the world. They, on average, own three other brands of motorcycle. Now, I'm not a motorcycle guy, but one Harley Davidson owner pointed out to me that was due to the reliability of Harley Davidson's, right? The most loyal brand owner is, in fact, the caddy owners. And the reason is they've emotionally bought into the whole Italian performance stream. Do you know what I mean? So don't buy into the loyalty myth. It doesn't actually exist. Ducati only has a very small part of that market right? So most buyers buy occasionally. So what are you going to do? First, focus on the big end of the market. Second of all, focus on existing customers as a source of revenue. Get fanatical about existing customers, right? One of my uh, businesses I founded recently, and I'm, I'm, no, I'm just on an advisory role now. I've stepped away from it so I can leave it to grow. Um, I was over here and I was at a conference and I was speaking and this woman raced up to me after and said, oh my God, we use Dubber. We love Dubber. I said, oh, great. You know, what do you do? She said, oh, we're in the tow truck business in LA. So we use it to record and transcribe all the phone calls. So we've got accurate records for police and everybody else and the endless compliance. I said, that's great. So you really love it? She said, yeah, yeah, I love it. I said, well, are there any other people you think that would love it? She says, yeah, actually, I'm the chair of the Tow Truck Drivers Association of America. How about you come and present at our next conference and I'll give you a big recommendation? 
Three months later, we have 90% of the tow truck market in Australia as a customer. And our marketers are running around going, oh, we need to invest more in SEO and more in Google and more in display and more of this. I'm like, fuck it. Let's just get more tow truck companies, right? Does Cisco talk to more customers who love us and get them to address and introduce us to other customers like them, right? So it all comes back to this notion of segment, target, express position. Always be very, very clear on the narrower the segment is in the broad market, the more chance you've got of success. And forget about funnels. God, the number of B2B marketers I told, oh, the funnel looks like this. That's If you're living in the sales land of Mordor, the weapon that, more, that the people in Mordor use, you know, is the funnel, right? And it's bullshit. You, I know many of you can't read it at the back of the room. What this says is, when we look at the data of contact points to a sale, six average contacts, around five in account, averaging 60 touches a day, 12-month cycle typically. You know, the, 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 the number of contact points, right, it's not linear, it's not a funnel. It's a big squiggly line which means you need to focus on pools because if you're focused on the total addressable market that you're going to grow and expand in, you actually want that pool at the top, the marketing engaged leads and the marketing qualified leads to be so massive because of all these conversations you're igniting in the market. It's about the conversations you're creating in the market to get that market primed and moving towards you. So when they become the 5%, you own them. And whatever you do as you get into segment, target, and position, don't fall into the X trap. If I hear another marketer say to me, oh, we're after millennials, I'm like, oh my God, that is just lame. We bind cohorts, cohorts that reflect our lifestyles, the people around us, our beliefs. Those are far bigger cohorts than age demographics, right? Far bigger cohorts. Anyone got any idea what the largest female gaming cohort in the world is? Largest female gaming cohort in the world. Working mums over the age of 35. If you don't believe me, when you get on the plane to fly with you going today, today, wait till halfway through the flight, walk down the aisle to go to the loo, they'll all be playing Candy Crush Saga, right? Small army of them sitting there playing Candy Crush Saga. So get back to the fundamentals. Reach your whole category. Define several category entry points and brand like no tomorrow, right? So... Give up on the funnel, because if you focus on the funnel, you're only focused on the short term. So you've got to flip more of your spend into brand to get yourselves out of the land of Mordor uh, and to a much nicer place. If you believe in your TAM, your total available market, you better show up with share of voice. All companies that focus on share of voice grow exponentially. Share of voice is the amount of penetration you have in the market of your messaging and your positioning and your ad units and the like right? The higher the share of voice, the more you're going to win. This is a great example from Australia of a study I did. This is a big insurer called NRMA. Highest share of voice, highest market penetration, and guess what? Highest prices, right? The higher your share of voice, the higher you penetrate your TAM, right? So the lower your share of voice, brands shrink. It's just a first principle of how you grow as a business. So you cannot cut your spending and expect to grow in the long term, right? Um, and, and there are just endless examples of this. I'm not going to bore with all the academic stuff, but there's, there are just so many examples of this is Microsoft's model that says 1% market share equals 300 million to us. So it's worth us investing 50 million in, in, in share of voice. Now, I know many of you are smaller businesses, so you might go down different paths. You may be more event centric. 
you may do completely different things. And I'll give you some examples of those in a minute, right? So you've got to break the digital delusion as part of this. How many of you actually look at banner ads? You've all got banner ad blindness by this point. Where actually our eyes, have, our brain has worked to go, that shit on the side down there, I just ignore all of that. I don't even click on it, right? The data here is staggering. I call it, they call it programmatic advertising. I call it the programmatic poop funnel, okay? For every dollar you put into a programmatic ad, three cents is viewed. Now, you're all smart business people. If I say, if I came to you and said, I'm going to spend a dollar on event, uh, on an event, and only three people are going to show up, you'd be like, I don't think so. Why would you do the same with your advertising, right? Why would you, why would you continue to pursue this sort of fool's game, right? And I get this bullshit all the time, right? I sat there about six months or seven months ago and said, hey, the number of people visiting our, our, our traffic, our site is up 32%. What caused it? So, you know, of course, I phone our pals at Google because uh, we spend lots of money with them. And they said, of course they said it's Google. It's Google. We're so awesome. There's 11% correlation between Google ad spend and brand search tra traffic. And then Google said, oh, and, and you're doing really good at SEO, which is where you're optimizing all your content to be discovered. Well, it turned out that was bullshit, right? What it turned out was richly branded sales content delivered all day long by inside sales reps and by our salespeople was driving the search traffic. One day I, I said, to, I said, on one, we hit this big spike one day and I was like, what on earth caused that spike? And I said, can you give me the IP, inbound IP address of all that spike? I want to figure out what it is. It was the Qantas lounge. And one of our reps, the cheeky little bugger, had just left all our brochures scattered around the airline lounge, you know? And it's like, it's viral marketing, Andy. I'm like, that viral marketing is going to get me in real trouble with Qantas. Don't do that again. But um, so there's a 92% correlation between sales activity and visit to your website. Nothing to do with the Google spend, right? And then I hear things like, oh, we've got to personalize things when it's garbage, right? All third party, if you're paying a fortune to Zoom Info and all these companies, just stop doing it. It's largely massively inaccurate data sets. It's not worth the money. Instead, go focus on building first party data. Turn your business into a magnet for collecting customer data everywhere you go. Train everybody to get data into your system. You're not going to win in the future as we enter this new cookie-less era, right? Unless you turn yourself into a data thing. Now, I know this is a bit of heresy because people go, what, you're actually saying we dial back on digital spend? Well, I am. Airbnb, right? Cut their digital spending by two-thirds. Strategy outcome is phenomenal. JP Morgan uh, Chase, Uber, everyone doing the same. Earned and owned media, overpaid media every day of the week, right? You've got to turn yourselves into content machines. And you know where you've got to start? Video. That little screen you look at all day long, there's a high probability you'll wake up tomorrow morning. Probably a good thing you'll be at home, but you'll wake up tomorrow morning and you'll stroke your phone before the person in bed next to you. Are you going to read stuff or are you going to watch video? Most of you are going to watch video, right? Written content is coming to an end as a construct. Make more video, right? It's how we consume stuff, right? And it's vastly underestimated because it just doesn't, we can't track the clicks as easily. We can do okay at it. But online video incrementally is a 202% impact on, on outcomes with customers over any other form. But it's only 3 to 6% of our effort. 
why on earth would we continue not to amplify that, right? Which is why when I was building Zero, we suddenly decided we'd cut our Google spend in half and take out very targeted tubeway ads in London. Grew sales 400%, 400% increase, right? All because we invested in brand, right? So brand power destroys old wisdom always. Right? How many of you have seen this chart before, the crossing the chasm chart? Put your hands up. You've seen it before? Yeah, it's bullshit, right? Um, it it might have worked to describe how printers got into people's homes, but yeah, not, not so much. What happens now is this, right? People have primed the market and focused on the 95 and built the brand. Eat the rest, quick, right? Because the majority of our decision-making, even in B2B, is emotional. Why are events like this so successful for companies and so important for companies? Zero con at zero. One of the largest financial services events in the world today. It's a conference for accountants. It's more like a party and rock festival. It's insane. They've got swimming pools. They've got like a big scooter racetracks. They've got bubble pools. They've got, it's insane, right? Because we make decisions emotionally. Why will this crazy device succeed? How many of you, put your hands up if you're an Apple Apple person. I don't think I've ever seen so many uh, Windows computers in one place, actually, because uh, normally I'm at tech conferences. Yeah, so you know this, right? We're just like lambs to the slaughter. They launch a new product, we go buy it. Like, you look at these things, right? They're pretty crap, really. I mean, they don't always work. The Bluetooth's average. The noise cancelling never works. But why do we buy them? We buy emotionally, right? We buy emotionally. And by the way, that emotion is a huge amount of revenue. So you look here, if you broke the AirPods business out, it's a $23 billion a year business. It's now bigger than Netflix, all because we buy off emotion. And it's all because of that massive investment in brand, right? You see Salesforce doing it, right? They've shifted their investment from lead and demand gen to the top of the funnel and the results speak for themselves, right? It also gives you enormous price protection, right? You can read through some of these slides. I'm conscious of time here. I don't want to go over. This is one of my big things for you. There's one thing you take away from this. Do this when you get back to the office. Get fanatical about understanding the mods, the moments of doubt, desire, dissatisfaction, and delight. Every customer you go to, it's not about your product. It's about what are their moments of doubt, desire, dissatisfaction, and delight. Now, how many of you have been down to Australia or New Zealand? Put your hands up. A few of you. Right. So you know, we actually have proper airline lounges and proper coffee down there. Right. And uh, so I'm sitting in the, we have hired by New Zealand to rebuild their app. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, let's sit in the lounge and see what goes on the lounge. There's all these pissed off people at seven in the morning. Like, Why are all these people so upset? So I started talking to them and said, oh, it's because we have to stand in line for our coffee. I'm like, well, you did show up at 6.40 for your 7 a.m. flight and you kind of want your coffee. This is a bit of a first world problem. It's nothing to be upset about. Um, and so we can fix this. So in the app, when you walk into the airport, pops up when I walk into Sydney or LA or London, it says, hey, Andy, welcome back. See you flying with us today. Would you like to order your coffee in the lounge now? Yep. Got a proper barista. Coffee gets ordered. You're off to the races turn up the lounge. Now, fast forward a year, we went back to all these customers and said, hey, we probably put too much in the app. Here are 50 features in the app. Start taking features out for us. Gets to the last five. It's uh, order, getting your coffee before you get to the lounge. It's um, 
electronic boarding pass, gate change notification, flight delay notification. Guess what? The only feature nobody wanted ever removed from the app was ordering my coffee. Bizarrely, even more people who didn't drink coffee rated this as the most important feature in the app. This is supply chain, guys. This is all about orchestrating process over anything else. So if you get the mods right, if you create a big mods board in your office and go, every salesperson, what are their moments of doubt, desire, dissatisfaction, delight? How can we build the product around that, right? Man, I'm going to have to go fast and running out of time because that drives what you're famous for. I always say to people who come to me, they're like, oh, I'm really, really energized. I'm really excited. I want to take you through our product. Like, Before you do that, what are you famous for? What is your famous? Because you can't build the brand. You can't build the story. You can't build the content, right? I'm probably going to go over by two or three minutes, but this is a really important example. So this was one of my favorite businesses, the Halo Oyster Company. Deliver 36 beautiful hand-plucked oysters fresh from the uh, uh, Tasman Sea once a month to my home. Now, they suddenly switched their delivery to Australia Post, my arch nemesis in life. They can't deliver anything. It's their sole purpose as a business. Instead, I, they, 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 I, they actually have them on video pulling up in front of my home and going, ah, fuck it, and driving away and taking the package to the post office and then sending me a text saying, you need to go to Brighton Post Office to pick up your package, right? So I end up cancelling with Halo because they can't deliver the oysters, right? But in the three months leading up to that, I decided to exact revenge on my arch nemesis. I would just leave the oysters at the post office, right? And then the post office had phoned me about uh, three weeks ago. Oh, Mr. Lark, um, we've got this package here. It really smells bad. Could you come and pick it up? Nah, sorry. <laughs> well, 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 can't, well, we don't know what to do with it. Well, you can throw it out. We're not allowed to do that. Yeah, sorry. You know, the business you're in matters. It kills the smallest of brands. It kills the biggest of brands, right? And if you don't believe that at one end, look at the other end. There's a great quote from Bernard Atoll, right? If you control your distribution, you'll control your image. Not just your retail distribution, but full end-to-end, point-to-point distribution. You control your brand. You are brand builders as much as you are shippers and deliverers of pallets and deliverers of products, right? You help companies create that last mile. Without that last mile, it is over for companies, right? And then the final thing I've got for you, the final two quick things, I'm going to speed through this at a massive pace just to respect other people's time. Be distinctive. If I have to go to another conference, everyone's got a blue logo or a shitty design logo that looked like they had their cousin's niece do it or something. I don't know. But um, get fanatical. Differentiation is massively overrated, right? Most B2B ads generate no actual outcome because they're not differentiated. Uh, this is zero. We lived on differentiation and doing beautiful. This is all my head of social media. You can tell just by looking for him. He works in social media. Um, but zero was always about beautiful. We used to joke we're in the t-shirt business. We branded everything. These were our cars. I'd go to meet VCs in Silicon Valley and they'd say to me, oh my God, you know, before we give you the money, we need to know how much you're spending on marketing. We see you everywhere. And I'm like, I'll tell you the truth, guys. I've got three minis. One of them has been parked in front of your office for the past two weeks. And the other one's been following you around. Our intern drives it. They'd be like, that is really despicable, but clever, you know? So just, you don't have to think when I say, go build your brand, that I'm saying, take out Super Bowl ads. What I'm saying is get your shit together and really brand your company. Do beautiful, make it spectacular, make it full of energy, 
right? Don't change your message. Don't change your message either. Your brand is also the words. You do not have to change your message. We've done all the research on this over the past year. They don't respond differently at all to changes in messaging during tough times, right? Words create distinctiveness in your story. Get fanatical. My offer to any of you, send me your brand messaging, andy at grublark.com, and I'll be brutally honest about whether it's going to work or not, all right? Get fanatical. How you frame the industry you're in and the business you're in matters more than ever, right? Don't pick a fight. Salesforce did this brilliantly. This is before cloud was even a word. It was just the end of software, right? I love these guys. It's milk, but made for humans. I still can't stand drinking it, but I get the point, right? Or these guys here, plant, cow butter, plant, skip the cow, right? The whole point here is they put a frame in your head now around who they are and what they are. You can't now look at butter again and go, oh shit, that went through a cow. That's probably not a good thing, you know? And as you do that, you can refine your messaging and really become a content machine. These guys are brilliant at it, the HubSpot guys. The Arc browser company are staggering. For those of you, if you're on Windows, you're a tough out of luck. You're just going to have to uh, get a Mac. But um, these guys here, Zora, beautiful, right? It's all beautiful content. Honestly, look at the content you're producing and go, is that beautiful? Would I want to read this? Does this express our brand? If you're the founder of a business, you own this, not your CMO right? Get fanatical about it. The great brands like Miro and Tech, they're able to do this because they combine product, platform effects, the supply chain. You're in the platform effects business, right? And the rest here, they combine it all together, going at 500% a year. If you look at Salesforce, what makes this work is the brand. Familiar characters, familiar scenarios, human connections, branding, effectiveness. There's no message on here that says, runs 50% faster at 20% greater ROI at 13% loader, blah, blah, blah. It's a picture of a stupid little Kawhi character and a delivery guy. I'm like, what, what, what's that all about? You know, but it burns into my brain. I'm creating mental, physical, and digital availability continuously, right? And my final point to you is at the end of the day, all brands are built, all the best brands, whether it's Apple, whether it's Nike, whether it's Amazon, frankly, right, are bills because they change the way they I feel. With Amazon, I feel that whatever I order is actually going to be delivered to my home. Miracle of miracles. With Apple, I'm just going to look better and meet nicer people because I've got Apple earphones in, right? They're changing the way we feel, and that's ultimately the business you're in. And that's my challenge to you, is look at your businesses and go, how will this change the way people feel? And I know that's a bit soft and fluffy, and now I'm sounding like a real marketer. So if that's all too soft and fluffy, just actually do some real marketing like I've described. Go through and go, are we actually doing real marketing? Brand like you believe it. Target share of voice. And oh my God, if that's all too hard, just put your prices up, get your ratios right on spend to making, right? And go to work on monetizing existing customers. You will ride this out, um, these unusual VUCA times out, uh, and smash it. I promise you, right? So it's Andy at grublark.com. If you want to copy the slides, I'm going to be kicking around for lunch and things. So come ask me questions. I'm hugely grateful to uh, the Freightways team for having me and bringing me all this way, particularly the gens, the two of them who helped put, all, put, put me on the map and get me here. Um, and uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for your time.